opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome in, take my hand, say hello to who you know and who you don't and who you can. We'll give promise to your springtime and beginnings to your ends. We'll try not to be cautious, we'll be friends. Welcome in everyone to Visibilities on, what do, where are we at? February 2nd. 2nd. My goodness, Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And it was it was my father-in-law's birthday. I think we figured out the other day that he would have been a hundred and... 108, I think it was wow. today. Did he see um, a shadow, t- t- Terry? Um, t- <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> very good, very good. He passed away in 2002. I hope I'm not running into his shadow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, it's been uh, quite a week. And I'm just so delighted that we have such a great call tonight, that we have um, so much to learn and so much to share on the topic of diabetes. And we have um, quite a panel put together um, that Larry has uh, graciously set up for us this week and so i am basically going to kind of turn this over to him because he knows a lot more about it than i do uh, about both type 1 and type 2 and i'm going to ask people not to unmute until you actually do want to raise your hand with a question and then I would stay muted until Deanna calls on you or I call on you because some people seem to be having problems with their hand lowering um, while it's, if they're unmuted and the hand is raised at the same time. So, so we don't have any technical glitches like that. Let's just get started. Um, I'm thrilled that Tom Tobin is with us and several of the, both of the Gasmans will have to pay attention to figure out which one is which when they start talking. <laughs> well, look at the picture, Terry. Come on. And that's it. I'll look at, I'll look at the picture. See the picture. <laughs> I can see the picture. <laughs> that's cheating, Terry. <laughs> it is. That's what I was going to say. But then some people will tell me I'm cheating. Um, anyway, Larry. I'm going to basically turn it over to you and tell us who you have on with you tonight and where we're going to go first. I put something, actually, I took your uh, particular release and put it on our ACBDA email list today. So we have lots of people here from Ah, ACBDA as well. Uh, And we also have not, we're still waiting for Liz Alexa, who's going to be talking about our mentorship program, which we started uh, not too much in the distant past, maybe a year, what, year ago, year and a half ago, Tom? Yeah, 2021, something like, yeah. Something like that, yeah. 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 Patricia is also and was a dietitian and uh, has and helps 
uh, us understand a lot of things and not everything because some things are not totally understandable with regard to diabetes, but she'll be with us. Um, Tom Tobin is here, our, now our immediate past president, and Tom will be kind of helping to put things together a little bit, talking about a lot of things in terms of CGMs as well. Um, and Becky Dongerson is going to be here to talk a little bit about ACBDA and give you ideas if you're if you're diabetic maybe and are not part of uh, our particular your list. Patricia Maddox, she just came in. Patricia's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been here. Yeah. We're waiting for Liz Alexa, Diana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, so we've got we've got lots of people here from ACBDA, and it's probably the best kept secret in in town because there are lots of people who are diabetic who don't know that we're here as a resource to support, and we. We have been working on kind of growing our membership a little bit as well, and uh, maybe it's it's good to talk about ACBDA at least from the beginning. If you're in that situation where you don't know anything about diabetes, uh, we're not medical professionals, but we are here to help and support based on our knowledge. And if you look at all the people who are in the room who are diabetic, who are part of the list, there's a lot of knowledge here. And we want to do anything we can to help you make it a little easier as you go through this diabetic journey because it is a little daunting at first. Um, and I thought we would start initially with what we used to do, which is we'll talk about it for a couple of seconds, and then we'll get into what we do now in terms of trying to figure out what our blood sugars are uh, and maybe even more importantly why they are what they are. But we used to do what are called finger sticks early on, and we would stick our fingers with with a, a meter and a lancet, and it worked for many years. Uh, it, there was inaccessibility to deal with first, then they got more and more accessible, and we were able to keep track of what our blood sugars were as well, and then we would know based on a scale whether they were too high or too low. There's Tom Jones, also part of ACBDA. And uh, and it worked pretty well, but it also, for those of us who read Braille, it tore our fingers up. It hurt. You know, you can imagine when you stick your finger with a needle, it hurts. Because uh, <laughs> you had to get enough blood on the actual lancet in order to put it on the meter to get an, a reading. And uh, what, uh, maybe five, six years ago, they began to come out with what are now called continuous glucose monitors. Yeah. And those monitors, there's there's a couple, there's quite a few actually in the market. Two that we know of that are extremely accessible. They still have some issues, but they're essentially accessible. And instead of sticking your fingers, uh, you you put the little sensor on a part of your body, some, depending on which one you choose. Uh, the Freestyle Libre you put on your on your arm, and the uh, and the Dexcom you put uh, generally it's on your I believe it's on your stomach am I correct? It can be on your stomach or your arm or your arm either one yeah yep yeah and and you uh, and you're able to read your sugars usually with an iPhone. Um, the meter that they provide is not accessible yet, and we're working on trying to get them to to make it accessible because not everybody has an iPhone. Mm-hmm. But those those devices have revolutionized. Uh, the ability for us now as blind people especially to 
to read our sugars and know what they are and know how our bodies interact with those sugars. And, and it's available on the, uh, on the Android as well. Yeah, both uh, iPhones and, you, and Android, yeah. yeah. So you, you literally, for both platforms, you have to go to your Google Play or App Store and download the app. Uh, I can I know with the Libra, there's there was originally the one, and then uh, they moved to two. Now they're on three and four. Apparently, it's going to be released later on in the year. You, and you literally go into when you get your Libra, you have sensors that you put on your, your arm, and the three sensors are about the size of a nickel, so they're really small. And once you get them on the arm, then you read them with the Freestyle Libra app. You literally open up the app. Which is on your phone. And, there, and there's a menu which has a whole bunch of different choices. Which, so if I, I'm, I've got the app open now. Oh. What's now your blood sugar, John? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, well, I just we're had lunch a couple out. hours ago. so <laughs> I, Don't so, qualify it. Just tell us what it is. <laughs> excuses, excuses. Yeah. So, I'll go into the slider menu in a minute, but if I swipe right, glucose in range. it says glucose in range. Now, that really means it's between 70 at the low end and 180 at the high end. Uh, they want you to be somewhere in between there. Now, I had lunch a little while ago, a couple hours ago, so a little bit higher than I wanted it to be right now. 150 milligrams per deciliter and changing slowly. That's pretty good, John. Not so, bad. not bad. So no. it's 150 and, and moving slowly, and then it note, there's a note button, so you could add a note mean? if there's something that you want to say about that reading, or maybe you're keeping track of some... Like I just had but, lunch? Like just had lunch at whatever time, yeah. Disclaimer, <laughs> and and then it then it tells you sensor ends in nine days. So it tells you sensor ends in nine days, and it go it literally will give you a, uh, a on the screen alert three days before, two days before, one day before, John's and then it counts it down in hours. Goes, <laughs> yeah, I like the sound effects. Yeah, if you if you get too high, I'll the alarm does go off, and it's a loud alarm. It is. Um, if if we go back to the slider menu, slider menu icon, and if I double tap slider that, so it it keeps track of your low glucose events. Average glucose button. Daily graph button. Daily graph, so you can look at what you're doing daily, and all of these I think are accessible. GMI button. I don't remember what GMI stands for, but do you guys? Glucose management index, and it's it's comparable to the hemoglobin A1C. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Oh, cool. And I, I, I haven't been in there, but I'm assuming it, it's accessible. Sensor usage button. Sensor usage literally, it keeps track of your sensor serial numbers and everything in the event that if, if one of your sensors fails and you have to send it back to Abbott, they need that, that number so that they can take a look and find out why it failed. And occasionally they do. And then they send you a new one free of charge. Occasionally I've had to do that, not very often. Start new sensor button. And that's when you start the new sensor. Sensor, it asks, are you sure you want to end it? Mm-hmm. Must have got that prompt from Microsoft. And uh, <laughs> so it literally <laughs> it, it literally ends it, and then you, you put the new sensor on. And you do that literally by taking the sensor out of the, the box, and you, you clean your arm off with some type of a medical wipe. And then you twist the two pieces apart, and the larger is the one you usually place on the middle part of your arm. 
uh, above the elbow. So it's 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 on the fleshier part it, of the arm. Yeah, on the back yeah. of your arm, near the bi- kind of above the bicep, really, on the fleshy part. Yeah. And you push in, you hear a sound as the needle slightly goes in, not not far, and then you wiggle it off. Or, you know, you wiggle the uh, the uh, applicator applicator so that it comes off. An adhesive then circles the sensor and keeps it on your arm. And for the most part, it does a pretty good job, unless you you know accidentally bump it. Or sometimes if it's really humid and hot, it'll loosen the adhesive a little bit. Uh, but by and large, it's pretty good. And occasionally you'll lose one like that a few days in advance. But most of the time, it stays on there pretty good. And every once in a while, you might want to press on it just to make sure that it's making good contact. Yeah. It takes about an hour after you put it on for it to... to um, to basically set itself up so that it can be used, and that, it'll, this then is you get an alert. Because I think it might be yeah. a little different with the Dexcom's Dexcom. a little different, I think. But I don't have yeah. one of those. I can only talk about the, 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 yeah. the but freestyle. Minor differences, so, but yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's so, ba- and everything seems to work pretty well uh, in the menus. So, so you can I, keep I, track of everything. Hang if on, I could, Larry, like to jump yeah. in here real quick, just to and do a little comparison. A little bit too. Right. So yeah. we'll do that. Oh, yeah. But I just, um, so back in the day when we were all doing finger sticks, as Larry talked about earlier, we had a test called the A1C test. And that was an average three month test of what your blood sugar has been doing over the past three months. Um, helpful, but in today's day and age with CGMs, kind of antiquated. But what, what it basically meant was that um, <clears throat> if you took your blood sugar, in the morning, after being asleep and fasting, and let's just say your reading was 90. That's a great reading. 90 is a good reading. And then that afternoon, you know, before dinner, you take your blood sugar reading, get another finger stick, and your blood sugar is 250. That's not a good reading. However, if you average those two blood glucose readings, if you add 250 to 90 and divide by two, you come up with 170. And as John was saying, if the range is between 70 and 180, technically you're in range. So, however, though, with the A1C test, because you're fluctuating from 90 to 250, that is not a good thing, guys. That is not a thing you want to see. So, with the CGMs, you can apply these sensors, and it's continuously reading your, you know, your blood glucose levels through interstitial fluid. So, the really cool thing, especially for type 2s, and for type 1s like me, is that you can actually see how your blood sugars trend, as John was saying, after he ate lunch, after I just had some popcorn. You know, what's my blood sugar doing? Um, so it what we're finding today in the space of, of diabetes management, the combination of the A1C test along with what we call time and range, that's the real key with CGMs, your time and range. Keep that in mind. So your time between your blood sugars being between 70 and 180, that's key. The higher percentage of time you stay within seven between 70 and 180, the better your diabetes overall diabetes control is. So um, those two tests today are very helpful in seeing kind of a rolling average, um, you know, month over month over a three month period, and then the CGMs really let you drill down and see what's going on hour after hour after hour yep. after hour. Um, which really just helps you tighten your control. And so, your time and range is actually now they're saying more important than the A1C. Exactly, Larry. That's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to men- I wanted to mention really quickly that for the Libras, you when you put the sensor on initially, that's the only time now you have to scan it with your iPhone camera. You put the camera up to the sensor, you and it it takes over and it sets it up. After that. 
when you want to check your blood sugar, you just open up the uh, Freestyle Libra app and swipe right or left, where whatever, and it reads it to you. And uh, it uh, so it's keeping track it, of it in the background. It, it but yeah. you know, with the two and with the one, you had to literally scan it every time you wanted to read it. Mm-hmm. Now you don't, right. which I think is really a major improvement. And how, we sh- we should quickly mention how long does it take for a, a reading? So. For those who haven't had to use one before, you eat your breakfast or lunch, whatever it is. When can you start to see some some uh, differences and some ac- actual accurate readings? Within maybe what twenty minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes is that about yeah. right? I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've had a sensor. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had one. So, and, and I wanted to get into that a little bit for people who who say, "Wow, I'd love to have one of those." Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you work currently and you have private insurance or your company pays for it, essentially you can get a you can get a either a, a, a Freestyle Libre or Dexcom almost almost immediately because the company's paying for it or part of it. Um, up until within the last year, it was not quite that easy. If you were on Medicare, um, or even had a Medicare Advantage program, because they weren't willing to pay for it, um, we fought that for a very long time. And we got, but I got denied for three years. Uh-huh. I kept trying because I had it when I was working for Marriott, um, and and we never could understand that because we said, "Gosh, if you really want to be a good diabetic." doing everything he or she can to make sure that the blood sugars are within range and learning about what your body and what works for you. By the way, it doesn't necessarily always work for somebody else in terms of things you eat. But you don't know that unless you're the the sensor is actually looking for you and measuring. But any of that stuff is not possible if Medicare is not going to pay for it or part of it. Uh, and, and they wouldn't. And there were all kinds of rules that you had to go through and all kinds of things that you had to ask your doctor to write into your medical records so that the insurance company would okay it. Most times they would not. For a while. Larry, can I ask you a quick question? Sure, sure. And that is, does it, is that also, was that also the case with Medicaid, do you know? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, guessing it yes. Was. Yeah. I'm guessing that okay. yes, it was. Um, but up, the only difference between Medicare and Medicaid is that you're low income, right? So yeah, the right. regs the regs would apply the same. Okay. But you, if you didn't take insulin, for instance, and you were a type mm-hmm. two or a type one, if you didn't take insulin and didn't test so many times a day, there was no way you were going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was such a loss for so many of us who who wanted to become better diabetics and learn what our bodies were doing. And it, but it just didn't happen for a variety of reasons, which I'm not going to go into here, because I'm not in. A, I'm not in this to slam insurance. Tell them the good news, Larry. Well, the, <laughs> the good news is about a, <laughs> in April. Thank God, because the insurance companies are glad that I'm not banging on them anymore. But last April, they loosened up, meaning Medicare. They loosened up a lot of the regulations that they had had in force for years. Yep. And it's interesting because I remember Chris Gray about three years ago and said he said if you can hang on, I'll bet you within five years that all of the insurance companies, whether they be Medicare or not, will loosen up and everybody who needs one will have the CGM. And I think he's going to be correct because now they've loosened up regs. You no longer have to have take have been taking insulin. Uh, 
And you're now able to get a CGM. I have, I was just approved after three years I, of fighting. And, and I John, had no problem. Yeah, problems. I had no problems. Disney paid for mine at work, and then when I when I retired, uh, I was out without it for a couple of months. But uh, Medicare did eventually approve it, and now I it's not free for anymore. But I for me anymore. But I think they pay eighty percent, and I pay the other twenty, 20 which, which is, is not normal. bad at all. That's normal. Uh, really, yeah, I think it comes down to you get a three month supply. Uh, the the yeah. uh, provider gives you they actually that would be six, and they throw a seventh one in just in case uh, they get lost in the mail. So I think I'm paying about twenty twenty five bucks per sensor, yeah. uh, which is not which is a whole lot better than having to pay for all of it. I so. think I think probably that that we have come to the end of the road of of not being able to get. Uh, our, our CGMs and most people now can I talked to a few people last week who were fighting that same fight that, that I was having issues with but but they are now being approved as well um, which is great which I think this is the way it should be diabetes is a tif- is a difficult disease to deal with sometimes we don't understand why the sugars go where they go etc even if we're not doing anything uh that would be considered bad for the body in terms of what we're eating. So there are a variety of reasons. I mean, like stress, for instance, and other things that have nothing to do with food. But if you don't have a a CGM as a part of your your diabetic arsenal, it makes things so much more difficult. So I'm happy to tell you I'm about to that point now where they're going to send them. And I will use them because I used them before and I know what an advantage it is to have them. So... So can we take a sidebar yes. here, Larry, for one yes. second? Uh, just well, say I, I just wanted. Anyway, to, so yes, absolutely. Yeah, I just um, Terry, if it's okay, I just wanted to mention because there's some off hot off the press developments as far as yes, there are. I was just thinking them same thing. <laughs> well, you and I are on the same page, my dear. So, <laughs> so we've seen a bill in in Congress. HR it's now HR thirteen twenty eight. Now there's a new Congress, but it's what we call the Medical Equipment Non Visual Accessibility Act, and this is for all tier two and tier three durable medical equipment or DME we call it in the business um, which would include insulin pumps uh, continuous glucose monitors glucose meters the old finger stick guys that's still out there yep. um, and other non-diabetes related equipment like blood pressure monitors and um, oximeters to read the oxygen level in your bloodstream and a whole bunch of other stuff but and then just recently thanks to our colleagues over in the federation uh, we have a companion bill in the senate now i don't know what the number is right now but so i'd like to ask your audience terry that what we need from your audience now if you're interested in this legislation is to contact your representatives and senators and ask them to co-sponsor these bills because um, we really need to get more support for that and not to bore you with all the process of how you know legislation moves through the process but you know if we can get this legislation into conference which is typically where the senate and the, and the house come together and they say okay we'll, we'll accept this we will we'll reject that and they compromise on the bill and we agree to have a clean bill that goes to the president says you know basically we need all these pharmaceutical companies to make all their tier two and tier three devices, insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, glucose meters, fully accessible to people who are blind or low vision. That's what this bill is all about. And I'm really confident this year we can get that done. So I'm calling on all of you, challenging all of you out there to please contact your representatives and your senators to say we need co-sponsors on this bill. 
Um, and that's really the next step to get as much support as we can behind these these two pieces of legislation and get them in the conference, figure out the details and then get it to the president for a signature so we can get this done this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we could get it done this year. So. And I think, and I think I have some even hotter news off the press. Okay, and uh, and that is that next Friday night here on Visibilities, we're going to have Claire Stanley and Swatha. And Swatha, I'm not going to try it without it. Swatha is fine; she understands. (laughs) Um, Claire and Swatha are going to be on next Friday night to discuss the imperatives, and that is one of them. Yes, uh, that is also so, an imperative of the National Federation of Blind guys. Right. So, this this piece of legislation is t- totally apolitical. So, you know, this is about diabetes. Diabetes affects everybody, whether you're a member of ACB, NFB, CNIB, or the Man on the Moon. So, you know, we this is a non-political issue. So, I really am. As not to sidebar, but we have an accessible insulin pump task force, and that's a collaboration between NFB, ACB, and CNIB, and we're working hard with all these manufacturers to get this done from an advocacy standpoint. So I I think if we can stand shoulder to shoulder, uh, the Federation of D.C. this week will be in D.C. coming up here in a couple weeks, and we can speak to our legislators with a with a um, with one voice on this stuff, we can get it done. So I think the opportunity, guys, now is here. The opportunity is here. Now is the time to strike and get this done once and for all. Let, let's turn to Patricia a little bit because a lot of people, especially who are new, are wondering, what do I do? How do I eat? What do I eat? Uh-huh. And, and some, yeah. unfortunately, it's a little different depending on the person, but you can generally have a pretty good idea of what to do after you've talked to your your, your dietitian, your diabetic educator, because those people are here to help as well. So, Patricia, please, please go ahead. Okay. Okay. I thought I'd start with a couple of questions that are probably already in a lot of people's minds. That way you won't even have to ask them. You know, there's a a misconception like, oh, you have diabetes, so now you can't eat sugar. Or now I can't ever eat anything that has sugar in it. And that is a huge misconception, as well as, you know, a lot of people... When they know you have diabetes, they'll say, you shouldn't be eating that, you know, that kind of thing. And that's <laughs> just not true. You do not have to give up all sugar. Uh, the blood sugar is affected, of course, we know the most by carbohydrate foods that you eat. And sweets and sugars are one type of carbohydrates. But other carbohydrates are things like bread, cereal, rice, pasta, fruit, and milk. And did you ever stop to think, we all know that the uh, that there's lactose in milk. We've all heard that word. That's just sugar. OSE, words that end in OSE is sugar, and fructose in fruit. But we don't consider fruit and milk to be unhealthy foods, right? In, you know, actually eating a piece of um, cake that's full of fat, which tends to slow its digestion, would not make your blood sugar rise nearly as rapidly as drinking a glass of milk or a glass of orange juice. So, you know, we have to put sugar in kind of perspective of it's not poison. The big thing is how much carbohydrate we eat. That's the key factor. Theoretically, instead of maybe having a sandwich and a glass of milk for lunch, you could have a piece of apple pie and have pretty much the same effect on your blood sugar. But we all know which meal is more nutritious, right? I mean, you know, (laughs) nobody's going to argue that, oh, well, then I'll just eat apple pie every day for lunch, right? But because of the high fat content- Patricia said I could. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, because of the uh, the high fat content in something like a piece of pie or a piece of cake, or my favorite, Tom knows, is cheesecake. Um, Mine too. 
<laughs> yeah, it slows down the digestion. But obviously, that's not a healthy diet. Those are things that, whether a person has diabetes or not, should be eating once in a while for a treat. So don't let anybody ever tell you, oh, you shouldn't be eating sugar. You have, di- you have diabetes. And I still have people telling me that, even though they know I'm, they know I'm a dietitian. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's kind of one of those dumb moments. Like, do they really think they're, do you're they talking, really You're talking to the professor over here. <laughs> who are you talking to? So I think my friends finally got the hang of that. They were always making sugar-free desserts when I came over. I said, I'm just going to have a little bit of the real thing. Don't worry about it. So um, the, the next thing is people ask is, oh, well, what's the diabetic diet? Okay. Can anybody answer that? I can't. There isn't a diabetic diet. Now, many years ago, I was diagnosed in 1961 with type 1. There was a diabetic diet. And for many, many years, actually into the early 90s, there was a very specific, so many grams of carbs, so many you know grams of protein, so many grams of fat. You had to weigh everything, including the oil you were going to cook with. But what we've discovered is that there could be lots of different variations to what you eat. But the most important thing to think about is that you still need the same good balanced nutrition that somebody without diabetes does. So it's not like when you develop diabetes, you have to go on some strange and unusual diet that you can't ever go out to eat because you have all these restrictions. Uh That probably would not be a balanced diet. And your body still needs that good balanced nutrition. We need all the food groups. Fruits, vegetables, grains, milk, we need, we need them all. Meats, proteins. Um, and what, what they were talking about with the blood glucose meters is what is so helpful now that the amount of carbohydrate that you need can be quite variable. Some people can tolerate a lot more. Some people don't tolerate nearly as much. And by watching what your blood sugars do after you eat certain size meals and certain contents of meals will help you kind of figure out how much carbs you can tolerate in a meal. And it might be different if you choose different foods. Like my husband has type two. So when he first got his uh, CGM, he was often eating grape nuts for breakfast or a bagel. Well, what he discovered right off was they didn't work so well. A bagel is actually equal to four slices of bread. Did you know that? Okay. He didn't realize that till he saw he wouldn't drink cheese. And that, doesn't, and that doesn't count the cheese. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, cheese. Yeah, what about the bagel thins? And the jelly. And the jelly. <laughs> okay. And yeah. the milk and the or and the milk and the orange juice. That was not uh, that was not a workable breakfast. And grape nuts is a 100% whole grain um, cereal that does not have added sugar. So you know it, it's it's a healthy food. But it is so concentrated. I mean, a quarter cup is a tiny little serving, and I don't know how many carbs. This is back in the 30s, I think, for a quarter cup of that cereal. So, you know, the the small amount that would work didn't seem to be filling enough. So that's the great thing about the the CGMs is you'll kind of learn how much carbohydrate works for you and how much does not work for you in certain combinations. And um, so, you know, that's, that's the main thing is to remember that, you know, good balanced nutrition and some people do even as much as a keto diet and some people um, do a vegan diet. I mean, that's like 75 or 80% carbohydrate, but interestingly enough, people with diabetes can very often do very well on a vegan diet because it's like whole grains, it's whole foods, unrefined, you know, not if they're going to eat pies and cakes and cookies, but if they're eating all these whole grains and maybe soy substitutes for proteins and non-dairy cheeses and so forth. Um, actually, I do have some friends, they're an older couple, she has type 1 and he has type 2, they decided to go vegan and they both got their hemoglobin A1Cs down to 5.7, eating 70% of their calories coming from carbohydrate, but yeah. just 
all 100% whole, healthy, whole grain, whole fruit, lots of fruits and vegetables, uh, mainly vegetables is what they eat. So it can be all the way from like a keto diet to a fairly high vegan diet. Just keeping in mind that eat all those good, healthy foods that everybody ought to be eating. You know, there's always been the saying, even back in 1961, when I was diagnosed, that people that have a family member with diabetes eat better than the average population because they pay attention to nutrition. And that remains to be true nowadays. We just have like more flexibility. Um, You should also also maybe mention that 5.7 is within the normal range of someone who is not diabetic. Not diabetic, right. That's a great number. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the gentleman in this couple, um, he was on metformin. He actually went off metformin is in, and is considered to be in remission from his diabetes. Good he lost him. a lot of weight and went off his metformin, and he's just delighted. So, now that's a hard diet for a lot of people to go to. So, I mean, you know, it, it's it's healthy. Uh, it works for some people. I'm not sure I could be vegan totally. So, you know, there's 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 a place for you in whatever your preferences are, and then we, you know, take into account like cultural preferences. You know, um, you know, South uh, Asian people eat a lot of rice. You know, that's something we have to work about. Uh, a lot of people eat a lot of tortillas and refried beans and so forth. So all those things need to be worked into a, a person's meal plan because that's part of their culture. That's part of what they like. They may have to adjust their portion sizes some. And that's where the CGM can help you learn. Otherwise, you really are just kind of guessing. And I, I will hear people say, oh, I ate really bad today, you know. And I'll say, well, what was your blood sugar after you had that meal? Two hours. 150. Well, you know, that, that was not bad. For, That's you know, pretty good, reason. John. Yeah, you know, well, I don't say John had a bad meal, but I, I did have a patient tell me one night, oh, my blood sugar went clear up to 150. I must have had a really bad meal. I was just a really bad person. You know, 150 is well within the normal limits. I said, you know, just don't worry about that. You just did fine. So we tend to be a little too critical of ourselves and you don't want to want to do that. Now, we do find sometimes that people with type 1 diabetes, especially if they don't have insulin resistance, because a lot of people with type 1 don't have any insulin resistance, are able to be a little bit more liberal on their carbohydrates because we can cover it with insulin. But we have to count it. Like, for example, I take one unit of insulin for every 18 grams of carbohydrate. So I just don't go through a dessert buffet and load up my plate. I pretty much have to know how much carbohydrate I'm really getting because if I don't take the right amount of insulin, um, then all bets are off. You know, it, it could actually cause me to go too low if I took too much insulin. So, you know, you still do have to be really aware of that. So there's lots of variation in, in, in what the carbohydrate content of your diet um, should be. The American Diabetes Association often um, uses what they call like the plate method as a good way to kind of get you started. So they have you like envision a dinner plate and you should have half of that dinner plate full of non-starchy vegetables. Most Americans don't do that. In fact, I understand that more than half of Americans do not eat a vegetable, a vegetable in any given day. Um, and maybe not a fruit either. You know, if you eat at McDonald's and go out for, you know, a a, a breakfast at a restaurant, you may not get any fruits or vegetables and that's not uncommon. So half that plate should be veggies and it could be cooked. It could be raw it could be in lots of different formats. A quarter of the plate should be a protein food. So, you know, meat, poultry, fish, chicken, sugar, or, um, uh, meat alternatives, whatever it could be like tofu. And then the other quarter of the plate could be a starchy item. 
like potatoes, rice, pasta, or starchy vegetables. We consider the um, potatoes and peas and corn to be starchy vegetables. Pretty much everything else is just lumped together as a non-starchy vegetable, even though they're a little bit variable. I mean, you know, maybe uh, carrots are a little bit higher than spinach, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not a big thing. It doesn't have a major effect on the blood sugar. And then, of course, rounding out the meal with, you know, some dairy products or, you know, milk, uh, some fruit. You wouldn't have probably those things at every single meal. But that's a good way to look at it. And those foods can be combined together like in a casserole or a soup or a stew. So you don't have to think of every meal as a plate with a vegetable and a starch and a meat. I mean, you know, you can make like I make tuna noodles with peas in it, you know, um, or or stir fry. Love to do stir fry. And that's Mm. great. Because you can really like, I'll take like, you know, three quarters of a cup of rice and then all these vegetables and maybe a leftover pork chop and stir fry it together to where I'm getting mostly vegetables. The last time I did that, my husband said, I can't eat anymore. I'm saving this for lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I, I'd actually only used a half of the leftover pork chop and about three fourths of a cup of rice in it for the two of us. So we had two meals off of it, but we were stuffed. And um, so, you know, you can be really creative in how you how you put those foods together. Sandwiches, of course, are combination foods, um, you know, wraps or something where you can put veggies and meat and uh, something in like a tortilla and so forth. So you can still have really, really creative foods. But the plate method is just a really good idea to kind of envision, um, you know, how a meal should sort of be balanced out there. Um, let me know when. We need to switch to someone else. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to just well, ask yes. a quick Terry, question. Terry, before yeah. you do that, but we need sure. to, for, we forget sometimes because we've been around the block a few times with regard to diabetes, but there are people maybe listening who are brand new. And some of them, I know because I said this at first, say, are saying, what's the difference between a type one and a type two? Because you talked oh. about insulin resistance, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. I just passed right over that. Like we all know, right? I know. I know. Uh, yeah. so, okay. Some of my doctors don't know, believe me, <laughs> except for the endocrinologist. Type 1 um, is where the pancreas makes virtually no insulin. It occurs more frequently in children, but it can happen at any age. I do have a number of friends that develop type 1 diabetes in their 40s, but it can happen at age 80 even. But that's where the pancreas makes virtually no insulin. Type 2 diabetes is really almost more a disease of the liver than it is the pancreas. Mm. Um, the liver is where sugar is stored and processed and is, you know, that's, it goes into there and then it goes out into the uh, bloodstream at certain times of day. Like in the morning, you have a surge of sugar just automatically when you wake up in the morning. Um, there's another um, hormone um, in the liver that's glucagon and that's what um, causes you to mobilize sugar that's stored in the liver. And in type 2, they have what they call insulin resistance. And what that means is that early on in type 2 diabetes, people are actually making plenty of insulin, but their body resists it and just can't use it, either at the cellular level or in the muscles or in the liver. There may be various parts of the body where it's just getting tied up and it just can't do its job. Now, some people with type 1 diabetes also can have that insulin resistance. It's almost like having type 1 and type 2 at the same time. I read an article just the other day or heard a speaker where she says, I think there's probably five or six different kinds of diabetes. And I think in the future, we're going to see 
you know, more more names, but I don't know how they're going to describe them with numbers or words or whatever. Because not every type one is the same, not every type two is the same. And that's why when you find in like on a listserv, people are comparing notes and people say, Well, this works for me. And but this, you know, the next person says, Well, that doesn't work for me. It's probably because they have a slightly different kind of diabetes or they're at a different stage of, of development. Type 2 diabetes also tends to progress very slowly over many, many, many years. And eventually, at some point, their pancreas will start making less and less insulin, too. So it tends to be a combination of both not making enough insulin and then insulin resistance. So does that kind of give a little better yeah, idea? On that's good. Yeah, that I would just, really I would just add, Patricia, that was a great description. But, I mean, type 1s, like you said, could have insulin resistance. And just so people know, type 1 means, as Patricia said, you're not, your body's not producing any of your own insulin. So if you don't take it, you're going to die. So, oh, yeah, within hours. Within, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so type yeah. 2, while your body's still, your pancreas is still producing insulin, you can also, I know several type 2s, we have one member on our board, and that uh, is on an insulin pump, even though he's technically a type 2, because his pancreas has gotten to the point, as Patricia mentioned, that it's not producing enough insulin to cover his you know his insulin needs so he has to supplement it with by taking insulin via an insulin pump so it's it's pet patricia said it's uh it, there, there are lots of different nuances to this disease so we right. have well and the important thing about type 2 is that it is a progressive disease and by taking really good care of yourself you can slow that progression but you can't pretty much stop it but um the, the people sometimes feel like they failed as they see their blood sugar start to creep up and all that means is that you now need some more medicines to, to manage it. It doesn't mean you've been bad or you've caused it to, to get bad over time. It's just going to progress, mm-hmm. and it's going to take different combinations of different medicines to get the job done. Yeah. We have and no, no, so, 20 minutes, and we have yep. Terry with a question. <laughs> I, don't, have a I, don't see, Larry, I don't see Liz. No, I don't, I don't either. Yeah. But we, all, we need to get to Becky at some point. We want to talk about mentoring. We have a hand raised, and we have a question from, from yep. Terry. Okay. So that, that was, uh, this my, was excellent. My, this, is, this is just a wonderful, wonderful call. Um, my quick question was, okay, so I went from eating bagels and cream cheese for breakfast to having <laughs> cereal with, my, with milk and fruit and orange juice for breakfast what the heck can you eat for breakfast in this world you know if you look at it breakfast is like the most unhealthy meal of our day it seems it is yeah (laughs) probably most lifestyles too because in most countries it is just some kind of a starch or a bread or whatever yeah so um you know like toast and peanut butter is good Mm -hmm. um a little cottage cheese and fruit and a piece of toast not eggs every day, no, but eggs, no. especially if you like to scramble in some veggies, sure. like make what my dad called yeah. a Denver omelet. Oh, omelet. That's yeah. my weekend. That's my. I get to that on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you can, you know, you can uh, eat non-traditional things for breakfast, sure. like things that you might eat for lunch. You can have a half a sandwich. You can have a bowl of soup. Um, leftover, you know, stir fry. <laughs> That's true. There's, there's a lot that you. I, I've learned in the past year and a half 
I my diabetes has actually done some very serious damage to my liver, oh. and um, so I I also have to be on low sodium. So I've done an I, I've become obsessed with the subject. I think yeah. <laughs> over the past year, um, Frank's never had so much unprocessed food in his life as he has. <laughs> and I've never spent so much time in my kitchen as I have in the past year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, what I would like to do is if we can i'd like to open it up for a few questions for any questions that people have so if anyone does want to start raising hands um we can still talk through it but we can uh, at least start knowing what we have for questions ahead of us hey susan's had her hand up the whole time she, she has yeah. i'm speaking about tired. poor susan yes good I thing have. that it's virtual <laughs> hi susan hi my question is related to the Medicare discussion that was going on a few minutes ago. I was rejected in December for the, I, I forget the initials, but the, the glucose monitor. And if I'm understanding correctly, if I apply to, if I apply to Medicare now, they might um, cover me. Yep. I do not take insulin. Okay, but the doctor, you, you know, you'd go to your doctor and you'd say, I need this. And the doctor would write a, an authorization that says, yes, th this person needs a continuous glucose monitor. And I, I was turned down probably eight times in three years. Um, so I never stopped and I told them that. I'm not stopping. You're going to see me again. But, but things have loosened up. And I don't know why you were rejected in December because I don't know your particular case. But, but they the, said I was rejected because I don't use insulin. Well, that's changing, that's Susan. Changing. This is Tom. Yeah. And I would also add to you, when you ask your doctor to write the script, say it's medically necessitated because of your vision impairment. And uh, yes, a lot I, of people... I, yeah, I did request that. Good. Okay, well... Larry's like our poster child for perseverance here. So, like, take take his example because he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And he's now going to get his CGMs, which is ridiculous. But a combination of his perseverance and Medicare lightening the regulations, um, just give it another whirl. I think you'll be okay. And um, don't stop. Okay. Don't stop. Okay. Just yeah. do you read, like do, a, a pest do you read when I ask the doctor for it over no. and over again. No, no, you're not um, a pest at all. Do, do you read Braille? No. Okay. Because yeah, that's a good excuse too, because I would tell him you do. So callous that you can <laughs> well, yeah, I actually I could read Braille, but I I, I read it with my limited yeah, vision. They, they don't need to know that, Susan. <laughs> tell them you read Braille. You know? Yeah, I like how Mr. Gasman Actually I could too. read it just not with my hands. But what I did tell Medicare when I called to plead for myself was that I can't read the strip. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I that's can't true. Read the monitor. That's right. true. Well, if I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble applying the blood yeah. to the test strip, which is a challenge. And it's you can do it over time if you develop kind of what I call a learned memory, where you just go through the process and do the same thing over and over and over again, and you get good at applying the blood on the strip just because through sheer repetition. But it takes time, and it it, does. I mean, I've been there. You got to you burn through a lot of strips to get there, right. but. Oh yeah, well, yes. and if you use yeah, your yes. hands for Five anything, <laughs> for if you use yeah. your hands for anything, if, even if it's not braille, this will tear up your fingers. It hurts after a while. And oh, that's, absolutely, that's, that's no question. Yeah. 
And I think well, I would just you, also Susan. say that that uh, CGMs are I'm now becoming more the standard than the exception. Yeah. So I would make that case too. Yeah. Uh, if we okay, if we can help you. you more, Susan, you know how to reach us. Um, you know, um, we'll give that out. Happy to do that. We'll give an email yeah. out here in just a yeah. few moments. Well, I'm also having difficulty with my medication, which is a Zempic. Problems with it, bad reactions to it, or what? Oh, I I qualify for their patient assistance program. Uh huh. But they don't give any patient assistance. They leave patients on the phone all day, mm. literally <laughs> on hold. Yeah. yeah. And so when Susan, I do get through to somebody, I've even called corporate. And they tell me I'll get a response within 48 hours. It doesn't happen. Oh. Now, I would I would re recommend that you try, if you're not on our listserv, um, which we'll give the information out later, but if you join the listserv, you can post a question there. And there are people out there in ACB Diabetics and Action that have had the same issues you've had and figured out a way to get around them. So our list is a great resource. So... We can talk about that later, um, but that is a great way to post your question and say, how do I deal with Ozempic? Yeah. We do have another question, and I want to we get to the question. Nora. And then I want to get to Becky to help us yes, get to exactly. The, and we also want to talk a little bit for a brief moment or two about our mentoring program, which will help answer a lot of the questions that you've asked over the last hour. Okay, Nora. Yeah, hi, good evening, everyone. Hi. My good question evening. is... Thank you. Good evening. My question is, is there a way that, I'm not diabetic at all, but I have a friend who is, and is there a way that people can get, uh, have it check their blood, group, blood glucose with reading without having to punch, uh, without having to use your needle to prick your finger? Yeah, do finger or sticks. Yeah, do finger sticks, right. That's our whole conversation, or about continuous that's, glucose monitors. Yeah, that's that's what we've been talking about: are the uh, the continuous glucose monitors. Don't use yeah. the finger sticks. Right. They use the phone. They use the either an Android or an iPhone with an app. Yeah. and that's, that's how you get it. You use those. Right. Yeah. How do you uh, right? How, thank you. How do you avoid uh, getting diabetes altogether? Well, that's a whole other show yeah. at Visibilities. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that one in we'll a couple of months. We'll get to that one Nora. someday in the future, yeah. 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 Overall healthy lifestyle, and sometimes you just had to pick different parents. There you go. <laughs> yeah. a short answer, yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Nora. Nothing. All right, let's get to Becky. I think Hi, everyone. There you are. Hi. Hi. Um... I am Becky Dunkerson, treasurer of ACB Diabetics Action, and I'm sorry that I am late, um, but I um, wanted here. to... <laughs> You're here. That's what counts. That's what counts. <laughs> uh, it has not been a good day, and I woke up and thought it was 6 o'clock in the morning, but no, it's 6 o'clock at night, so uh, anyway. How um... was breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a bagel? <laughs> she won't get the jokes. Well, we're, Becky, we're here to help you if you need some help, so that's okay. <laughs> well, I um I am not diabetic. Um I know most of the people that have spoken are diabetic, but I'm one of those that is not diabetic. Um and the 
struggle that people have when you're not diabetic and you're living with someone or you have a friend that is, is, is sometimes it's hard because you don't want to say, oh, well, have this piece of cake or have this cookie or, or whatever. And, and the thing that I have gotten to remember is each person is in control of their own diabetes and, um, I can try to encourage them by not offering things, but sometimes we forget and we do it. And we as non-diabetics need to remember that it's okay. And also, I think sometimes, and I've been hearing this a little bit more from some of, uh, of the folks in ACBDA, is that um, sometimes it's okay to to you know go off the beaten road and have that snack or whatever because if you don't you're going to sit there and crave it forever and then you're going to end up eating more um and that's what i've heard from a few people but um so i it's it's just kind of a toss-up and Mm -hmm. and when you live with someone it's almost like you you take on the role of being a diabetic as well because of course, you're going to eat the same thing that that person does and, and that sort of thing. And, and so it, it's kind of like you are as well, but, um, it can, um, help you to, to help yourself really to not become a diabetic if, if you can kind of, you know, help your partner or friend or whatever. So tell us and tell everybody who's listening whether they be on ACB Media or here in the room, how can we help them as an organization? How can can they join us, and how yep. does that happen? Well, um, first of all, you can join us by um, paying our $10 dues, um, and you can go to acbda.org, um, and then there's a membership tab. Um, and then it'll take you right into the payment screen and then you can make your payment that way. If you have any questions or you want to get a hold of anyone that's spoken here, um, or you have problems, um, joining the membership or whatever, then you can send an email to acbdaorg at gmail.com. Um, and I'll be happy to forward it to you or or forward it to the particular person that you're trying to reach and that sort of thing. Um, if you want to get on the listserv, I, I heard Tom mention the listserv. So yep. if anyone's wanting to get on our email listserv, send me an email and I can uh, to that acbdaorg at gmail.com and I will send you the link. That way, all you have to do is just click on it. It'll take you right into an email. Um, and then you just uh, hit send, kind of like all the other groups when you um, sign up. But this this way, you'll get the link, and we don't have to try to make sure that you get it all. So, um, And the wonderful thing about our email and our website, if you didn't hear it all or get it all, it is the initials that we've been talking about tonight, A-C-B-D-A, and then for the website, it's .org. For the email, it's org at gmail.com. 
And as a result of those, of, of the website, you, you get a chance to talk with people. Not the website, pardon me. The listserv, you get a chance to talk to people who have diabetes. And the information that flows on that list is incredible. Sugar uh, Lopez is on the list and she does lots <laughs> of recipes. So if yeah. you're saying, what can I do from a diabetic perspective? She has lots of recipes. We have a newsletter that comes out as well with a variety of subjects in it. We have a mentoring program that is for members only. And so we match you up with a mentor. Or if you're if you are a mentor, we'll match you up with a mentee. But generally, it's the other way around to start. And if you have questions, they can help you get through specific items. And it's all uh, it's not broadcast publicly, so that your 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 privacy is protected. And that's for members as well. So we have tons of stuff to offer. In the remaining minute or two that we have left before we flip it back to Terry, is there anything I missed or we missed, Tom, that we need to discuss? I don't think so, but I would ask our lovely host that maybe sometime in the future we could spend part of a visibility's um, uh, evening to talk about the Pyramid Relations Program. Yeah. It really is our flagship program, and it really is its what we call the peer-to-peer mentor support program. So as Larry mentioned, you have somebody who's been around the block a few times paired up with somebody who's new to the dis- living with the disease and um unfortunately liz couldn't make it tonight but she's our chair and she's incredibly articulate about the program and it's one of my as larry knows this one of my strongest passions and one of the reasons i brought it to acbda because it has amazing impact on people's lives so maybe terry you could let us come back sometime and we could talk about absolutely absolutely and we also i should mention as the chair of this program that we also do have educational zoom calls once a month where we bring somebody in from within the industry to talk to us about a certain aspect of diabetes so that's ongoing and we're working on those as we speak and that's when john that is on the second wednesday i believe yep Mm -hmm. Of the month. By the way, my blood sugar's down to 135. Just thought I'd Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad to know that. (laughs) We're right up against it, Terry. Yeah. We're at 59. Yeah, we've got to. Yeah, we've got to. uh, Oh, we are at 59. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you all very much. And I did have an announcement, but watch the CCLVI info and uh, some other places. There's going to be a CCLVI auction as a major part of the 45th anniversary of CCLVI, and it'll be coming on 4-5, as in 45 years. Thank you all very much for joining us this evening. Have a safe week, and as I said, Claire and Swatha will be with us next week.